Hey guys, it's Celeste. Welcome back. Um, I've kind of been, you know, in and out. Um, I will be huh, really cementing my podcasting schedule this month. Um, I have some really cool and fun stuff coming up. I am presenting actually at a conference on the 21st, so Thursday, about um, using podcasts as a tool for public sociology, which is pretty much what I've been doing for the past three years. It's only been recently within like the past year that I've come to really define myself as someone who engages with and works with public sociology. Not quite sure yet if I'm a public sociologist yet, if I would call myself that, but um, actually, yeah. Yeah, actually I am. Yeah, definitely a public sociologist or, or someone who operates in deals in that realm. But um, I was actually supposed to release his podcast yesterday, but life and my life as a mother to a very vivacious toddler uh, prevented me from being able to do that. And just the general exhaustion I feel and will probably continue to feel this semester as I wrap up everything and transition into dissertation so I can, you know, complete the last and final stretch of getting my PhD and completing one of my lifelong goals. Um, but it's been really heavy on my mind for the past week or so about the need for us to talk about protecting Black women and talk about protecting Black women specifically who live their lives very publicly in public places, politicians, celebrities, uh, so on and so forth. Um, just in general, the intersection between gender and race and the way that it works has often been one of the chief ways and, and chief chief interests I've had in wanting to go into academia and wanting to pursue um, scholarly endeavors and wanting to write and research and really explore the dynamic because that's absolutely something that affects the way that I live. It's going to affect the way that my daughter lives and experiences the world. You know, affects the way that we're perceived by others who are not like us, who are like us. Uh, just just in general. Um, I feel really excited about the fact that Kamala Harris is about to be sworn in as the first woman, Black woman, South Asian woman, Vice President of the United States. It's such a powerful position to have. Um, I am concerned uh, about the ways in which Black women and girls are going to be attacked because of her position. Not that I think that she should in any way shy away from what she has rightfully earned and what is rightfully her position and what she is, I, I honestly think is going to hopefully, you know, shit, we'll see, hopefully excel at uh, her and, and, and you know, President-elect Joe Biden. I'm going to just say President, President Biden, because that's what he's about to be, um, you know, if there's not another insurrection. God, we'll talk about that too. But um, it's really interesting to me. Um seeing her come in, come into this dynamic and step into this dynamic and what that's going to mean for black women and girls. I mean, we saw this with Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama was the first black first lady. And it was beautiful to see her in that position. And I thought she carried herself with such class and such grace. And even after she's left that position, she has just continued to shine as, you know, this beautiful, educated black woman who is just, you know, really in, in so many respects and in so many ways, just so brilliant and just so like, you know, the epitome of, of black excellence. And uh, it's been really, it's been really interesting to grow up. 
I was 17, I believe. Yeah, I was 17 when uh, President Obama and Michelle went to the White House. They got elected. I was so pissed because I couldn't vote. But I made sure to vote for him the second round for his uh, second term. But I was so happy to see that. And it empowered me so much. And I remember just sitting there talking to my grandmother, who grew up in rural Arkansas, you know, during seven, you know, during the time of segregation, when it wasn't even necessarily safe for her to be on certain parts of her, certain sides of her town, certain parts of her town. You know, she grew up unable to even look white people in the face. And then we had a black president. We had this beautiful first black lady. And of course, you know, symbolically, we can talk about the nuances of his actual political career and his his political tenure as president later, because there there are there are pitfalls and there are problems there. But the symbolic power of them stepping into that role was really, really beautiful. And I mean, the, th the same thing can be said for Kamala Harris, um, her being the first woman vice president. Like she's not going in as someone's wife. She's going in. She is someone's wife, but she's also going in as like she's one of the head honchos. And I think that's really powerful. I think that really, uh, really is so beautiful to see and to live and to watch and to be able to witness this and to be able to tell my daughter, hey, there, that's the that's the vice president of the United States. She's a black girl just like you are. And to be able to have that conversation with her. But um I also think back when I think of Kamala Harris stepping into this position, I remember how happy I was, how happy my family was, how happy so many people that I knew and loved were that uh, President Obama and Michelle had taken the position of, you know, our president and our first lady. But then I also remember how vehemently and viciously people attacked them. I remember that. I remember it because any attack on their blackness felt like an attack on my blackness. And it really felt that way to me. Um, when conservative media pundits would talk about Michelle Obama and, you know, call her a man or call her all these different things and, and essentially strip her womanhood away from her in a very, in a very, you know, conventionally and traditionally racist way that they try to stereotype black women and by, you know, stripping them of their femininity. I felt all of that. I felt it. It was upsetting to me. It felt like a personal attack on me because I understood very clearly the symbolic power of Barack and Michelle Obama. And when they were attacked, it literally felt like I was being attacked. And I remember, you know, having freshly moved away from the town that I grew up in, Abilene, Texas, which is a notoriously, unapologetically conservative, basically like far right town. Um, I remember getting into it on Facebook with people and how many friends I've lost like over, like during that time, just over the course of like the last, like, gosh, like 12 years getting into it with people because of the ignorant shit that they would say. And them not not being able to admit that that shit is offensive and that it's hurtful and that, you know, a lot of the criticism that you had of President Obama and Michelle Obama and, and even Kamala Harris today are rooted in these really, these really like ancient racist ass, you know, attitudes and ideas. Um, I am afraid for Kamala. Not that she is not going to kick ass in her position. Not that she's not going to be a great you know, woman and black woman, South Asian vice president, and a vice president in general, just period. I am very, very anxious um, to see the various ways that she will, you know, undoubtedly be attacked. 
she's a politician, she's a senator, she, you know, she's a high-ranking politician, was before even, before she became, you know, was selected to be the vice president, his running mate. Um, you know, she was running for president, was going to run for president her damn self. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it's coming. There will be a woman president within the next, I, I predict the next 20 years. I predict that for sure. Um, but I also think, I think it'll probably be less than 20 years, to be honest. But I also am, uh, it's interesting when you look at Kamala Harris, because um, she's, she's, you know, she's a mixed race woman um, who identifies both as Black and as South Asian. It is interesting to see um, the way that the media talks about her um, in comparison to other Black women and just in general. Um, Stacey Abrams is another person who is a rising star who is really literally my personal, like one of my personal favorites. Like I'm really just like out here being room for Stacey since she ran for governor of Georgia. I think that was in 2018. Really just rooting for her so hard and hoping the best for her. And really she is somebody to watch because when I say she flipped Georgia her and the rest of those black women in Georgia flipped that state blue that has not like Georgia is oh lord I mean it's it's the deep south like it has an extremely racist ass history and you know and like that's where Stone Mountain is the largest confederate monument memorial in the country is in Georgia right outside of Atlanta and it is so interesting to see that that state is blue in the way they literally that's why I say like the way they literally went to the ground grassroots organizing like took it way back none of this fancy political shit none of this fancy oh no like they they got they got down they got it out the mud and they they flipped this state blue and that is so powerful to me and the fact that stacy all these different organizations that are headed and ran by black women that are upheld by black women and supported by black communities were able to flip that state is amazing to me but also when you do things like that and the spotlight is put onto you that inevitably comes with a certain level of scrutiny. And this is not normal scrutiny. This type of scrutiny is like hyper scrutiny. Like Stacey Abrams is hyper scrutinized. This man, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know what his fucking name is. I don't even care to know, but he called her Fat Albert. Like <laughs> what? He called her Fat Albert. I like. I'm literally recording this podcast right now. Like, uh, I need to look up the exact words that he said. Yeah, this man called her Fat Albert. Um, just again, these attacks, these attacks on Black women, these attacks on their, 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 you know, their, their physical appearances. Uh, just essentially attacking their blackness, attacking her for her size, attacking her, like all this different stuff is just like, it's disgusting to me. It's disgusting. And I really, because of that, when those, when that tweet came out and that became, you know, like national news that this man said this about her. Yeah. Congratulations to the state of Georgia and fat Albert Stacey Abrams, because you have truly shown America the true works of cheating in an election again. Enjoy the buffet, big girl. You earned it. Hope the money was good. Still not governor. That is some tasteless ass shit to say to someone. And th just Trump and his supporters, like, truly, this is not, 
a Trump supporting. I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna be very honest. If you listen to my podcast, I don't like him. So if you do, you're probably not gonna like it here. So leave. Um, I also like. I have no sympathy for people who do support him because I really truly don't understand how you can excuse the level of hate, racism, misogyny, nationalism, like just how you can excuse his basically in in all but you know well shit like i can't even say all but i mean he basically did endorse hate groups and did endorse uh groups like the proud boys and basically you know gave them this fuel to make the insurrection even happen and if you support him you have no place here honestly you're not gonna like it you're not gonna like what the fuck i have to say and i'm not gonna argue with you i said what i said and that's that uh but i will say this about stacy abrams i want to stay stay on task here um i am particularly fearful for her as a dark-skinned woman as a woman who is large as a woman who has you know shorter kinkier hair um i'm i am particularly and it's like a it's a kind of a it's a it's a type of trauma for me honestly and a type, a type of trauma i think a lot of black women experience when they see other black women being assaulted verbally mentally emotionally physically and in particular, like women, black women in public spaces who have accomplished so much, who have accomplished way more than the average person who are, you know, by all accounts, really just exceptional women, right? And but and to see them being torn down when they're literally the cream of the crop. And it's like, you know, damn, like you'll you'll tear down Kamala Harris, you'll tell you'll tell down, you tear down Michelle Obama, you're you're gonna tear down Stacey Abrams. These women who have accomplished so much, who have done so much for just not only themselves, for their legacies, for their families, for the people they care about, but for the entire world, for the entire world, for this country, who have literally done so much, who have put so much on the line, who have sacrificed so much of their personal selves to, you know, for our collective betterment and our collective benefit. And it's really sad to me. Um, I, I posted, I'm going to go down just the list. I posted like an Instagram post and in the, in the post, the pictures of women I posted that have been, in my opinion, the most vehemently attacked women of color that have been the most vehemently attacked in the past, gosh, like two years. Uh, gosh, like Kamala Harris, of course, because of the position that she has earned. I'm going to keep saying earned because she was elected legally into her position Stacey Abrams, um, Megan The Stallion, Maxine Waters, Ayanna Presley, and AOC. And uh, these these women have just like been torn to shreds for being strong women, for being women that are willing to lead with dignity, with light, and with honesty. And it's disgusting to watch. A lot of it, all of it is rooted in patriarchy, is rooted in sexism, is rooted in this idea that women should shut up and just sit there and just take what's given to them and just, you know, be silent about it. Um, I distinctly remember this summer, and I've, I've spoken about this this season already a little bit, but Megan the Stallion, the way that people, after she you knows she was violently assaulted, shot at by Tory Lanez, how people still are attacking her how she got on live damn near broke down in tears and expressed how vulnerable she is right now because of the loss of her parents just you know her being an increasingly famous rapper an increasingly famous star her star power is just continuing like continuously rising overnight like literally 
she is just getting bigger and bigger as the days go as the days go by and the fact that she is being you know people are are refuting like you know like who lies about shit like that first of all but like the fact that people are refuting her claims saying that she's a liar saying that she's you know she's doing this for clout all this different shit is disgusting to me um as someone who has survived this like literally has survived the same type of violence it's disgusting to me that people would even question and even you know feel the need to attack her in a way that basically refutes her truth uh refutes what she went through refutes the fear and the trauma that she's had to deal with because of that incident and then for her to be you know like 24 25 years old she does not have parents anymore her parents have passed away her navigating these unknown waters of fame by herself without you know a whole lot of help without that really secure family unit there it's been really traumatic for me to watch as well um today is the 19th exactly a year and two days ago um, and I've spoken about this on all of my social media platforms, um, the assault that I experienced and what I had to go through and how I had to come to terms with what happened to me and how I had to literally piece my life together during the midst of a global pandemic, was in and out of court during the midst of a global pandemic, trying to piece my life back together because of the poor choices of someone else and the violence that they committed against me and having to literally heal sometimes the only way and the best way that I could uh, has, you know, profoundly affected me, has profoundly changed the way that I think about life, the way I think about men, the way I think about, you know, everything. And to see that again, to see that happen um, to Megan the Stallion. And then also this summer, I lost one of my coworkers, her, her ex-boyfriend, murdered her yeah he like he murdered her he shot and killed her in the back like she was walking away from me shot and killed her um and going to her memorial service coming to terms with the fact that that's how she died she died at the hands of a man and often these same women i'm talking about these same women who live their lives in public spaces these famous politicians these famous singers entertainers rappers the ways that they are not even protected. The way that people in comments, in, in comment sections, the way that people generally talk about them um, in a way that reduces and chips away at their humanity is very, very traumatic to listen to, to watch and to read. And that's why I'm recording this podcast because I want black women to really prioritize their mental and emotional health these next few years um, because shit is going to get real it's always real for us as black women as women as people living in black bodies um it's always real for us but it's going to it's you know it's, it's about to get amped up it's about to kick it up a notch like the stakes are much higher now because as black women increasingly step into positions of power as black women continuously realize their full potential we have a lot of fucking potential, like world domination potential they're going to attack us. When I say they, I am talking about a patriarchal society rooted in white supremacy that hates poor people, hates people of color, hates women. Um, there will be attacks on us. There will be attacks on us. Uh, 
There will be attacks on our intellectual property. There will be attacks on our intelligence. There will be attacks on our bodies. There will be attacks on every single facet of who we are collectively, individually, and communally. And I really, really, really think that it's high time we start prioritizing the just the general mental well-being of who we are. Um, Clubhouse is the newest and poppinest app. Um, I've been try I be trying to utilize Clubhouse, but it's really a lot of fuck shit that be going on in that app, y'all. It really is. Like I promise you, it is a lot of weird. It's a lot of weird shit that goes on on Clubhouse. Um, some of those rooms are complete and utter trash, and nothing of value is being said there. And there are other ones, like the one I was in two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, it was like, it was a room where black women were given the space to talk about it was it, it was you know it was a room where um various genders were in the room but black women were given precedence to talk about and, and prior given precedence and priority to talk about the ways that we want to be protected the ways that we see that our communities fail to protect us and what needs to change and um i will say first and foremost it has to be a shift in the conversation. Like when you see, just like when we we tell white people, hey, like when your your uncle Bob is like saying like some real crazy, spicy, racist ass shit about people, like check that, check him, like tell him no, that's not okay. Tell him that that's not okay. And like I think that it's as simple as that. Like when you see people unnecessarily attacking Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams and Megan Thee Stallion and people like them over bullshit and over something they should not be getting attacked over like especially within your own immediate circles be like no nah, like that's not cool like and if your people your friends don't understand that and they they are too ignorant to understand and hear that out and to understand why that is so problematic and so dangerous then you have to like critically evaluate why you even allow these people in your life anymore um growing is not easy. Being better is not easy, but they are both consciously two things that you need to do and that you have to do to live a full life. And growing often means that you are put into positions where you are uncomfortable, where you have to address uncomfortable topics and you have to do it anyways. You have to lead with courage because you might be afraid to do something, but what's right is right. Like when you hear black women being talked about in a very like, disrespectful manner when you hear like people making jokes about rape and you hear people making jokes about doing violent shit to black women like i i don't understand like honestly why it wouldn't occur to you to say something like immediately one of the things that we talked about in the clubhouse room um was catcalling and i told the story of how me and my best friend we were both 23 we decided to go to new york we had never been to new york before we were super excited we were staying at my neo's house in harlem she was actually in Texas for the weekend, so it worked out that we stayed at her house and it was really cool. We had so much fun. And she uh, she let us stay at her apartment with her roommate. Her roommate was real cool. Her roommate, I think, was from New York. I don't know if she was, I think she was from Baltimore. But we walked around Harlem, like we had so much fun. And then like the second or third day that we were there, we were walking to the subway, walking to our stop. 
And this guy, like catcalling in New York, first and foremost, like, I don't know if y'all have ever been to New York, but catcalling in New York is like some other level shit. Like I had never, ever, ever experienced this shit until I went to New York. Um, and like, I was, you know, 23, when I was in my early twenties, I was like super like post 22. I was like super thick, like Texas thick, like country cornbread fed, like ass for days thick. And so I'm walking down, I'm walking around Harlem with my best friend who also is a very curvy woman. And, uh, this dude was like, what did he say? He was like, excuse me excuse me excuse me like this is like this is literally every dude in new york like it does not matter they're all hey excuse me hey hey can i hey what's up hey can i excuse me excuse me it literally is like you can't go nowhere without them trying to fuck with your ass it really is like it's out of control and um just like walking around and you know, this guy is like, he's really, I'm just like, at this point, this is like day two or three, like, we're tired of this shit. We don't, you know, like, nah, like, nah, bro. Like, I'm not trying to talk to you. Like, you know, have a good day. Enjoy yourself, blah, 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 blah. It's, hey, hey, hey. Then it starts to escalate. Like this, we realize this nigga's following us a little bit. Like, oh, okay. And it's like, I, I mean, like the, the street is full of men who are not catcalling us, but like this one particular dude, and like, I think it was like two or three of his friends, Hey, it's just me and my homegirl. It's me and my best friend. Hey, excuse me, excuse me. Then it turns, after, you know, he realized he's being ignored, it turns to, it stops and it gets progressively, like, you know, he's getting progressively louder the entire time he's saying, excuse me. Then it turns into, damn, bitch, you really fine. You were fine, but hey, bitch, you really, I'm like, and it just, like, gets progressively worse. Like, it gets worse. So at this point, you know, like, I'm uncomfortable. Like, I'm not from fucking New York. Like, I'm from fucking, I'm from Abilene, Texas, first of all. I'm a Abilene, Texas, living in Dallas, transplant. Like, I'm like, I'm scared at this point. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, okay, like, you know, like, it's getting out of control. Like, he's like, you know, it's not getting, it's not getting any better. Like, you know, it's getting worse. Like, it's getting, I'm starting to fear. I'm starting to fear for my safety, my best friend. You know, I'm, I'm scared at this point. And I'll never forget how many men and this is harlem this is a predominant this is like a you know harlem is is black it's black af we're literally i'm just you know I'm, i'll never forget how many black men were standing around it's like 12 or 15 dudes that saw this shit happen and didn't say anything and so in my mind for a long time i remember i told this story to like you know clubhouse and even when i was telling it to the clubhouse room i was like you know i tried to rationalize um what was happening and I was like well maybe like because he was just so like erratic and he was just so like ignorant and getting just so loud maybe like they didn't want to really insert themselves into like the situation and then I thought about that because one of the young women brought it up to me she's like yeah she's like you know what? that's probably true she's like but damn like you know it's two of y'all she's like it's like you know it's a bunch of dudes standing around she was like you mean to tell me like if he if he hadn't like if he had you know that they couldn't have like told him to stop like he was like he was going to try and fight like all those guys at the same time and I was like you know what you're actually right I was like the the problem still is that nobody saw fit to take up for us nobody saw fit to like tell him to leave us the fuck alone and what's crazy to me is I know people like you know like physically men are kind of imposing physically men are imposing so I and what's crazy is I know so many other people who do not have the same level of privilege that men do who would have said something 
And that's discouraging to me because I really, it really goes back to the fact that like we have to do better in protecting black women. Another example I want to talk about. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Iggy Azalea, and I follow like I follow all the gossip rags and stuff because I really think that a lot of that information and a lot of those stories are great. They make for great material to die, just to dissect and analyze from a sociological perspective, especially when you talk about race, you talk about gender, you talk about class, colorism, like just privilege. It's just beautiful to like take some of these stories and dissect them. So I want to talk about Iggy Azalea and I want to talk about Eliza Rain. My friend Catherine actually brought this up to me yesterday over drinks and I thought this was really important because uh a couple of weeks ago, Iggy Azalea came out and, you know, she was essentially talking about how her boyfriend, fiance, whatever, uh, what's that child name? Playboy Cardi cheated on her. You know, she has a baby with him. They have a little boy. How he essentially wants nothing to do with her son. How he has, you know, just essentially neglected his responsibilities as a father. And the comments... You know, Iggy Azalea is technically, you know, she's technically a baby mama. Iggy Azalea is also white, Australian. Uh, and the comments, you know, she like went on like a, it was like a multi-day rant where she was posting videos of the girl that he cheated on her with. It was like tweeting, was posting like, you know, to her Instagram live, like these long, like spoken dialogues about the shit that he had done. And granted, I'm never, like, I'm always down to listen to a woman who's gone through that type of shit because I've experienced it as well. I know so many women have. And I'm also just, like, I understand the dynamics of motherhood and the way that men are often not held accountable for a lot of the shit that they do when it comes to being parents. And that's just, like, that's not even really necessarily speaking to my own personal situation. That's just the way that families are structured to work. Women always take on the burden of the family. That is the way that it is. It's not. It should not be that way. That's wrong. It's like it shouldn't be that way. But that's the way that it is. But it was shocking. We looked at the comments, and you started to read back, and like everybody, a lot of a lot of women, a lot of black women, sympathized with Eliza. I mean, excuse me, not Eliza, Iggy, and were like, you know, well, I understand. Like, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, like nobody called her bitter. Nobody said, oh my gosh, why is she earring at all her business? Like, why is she doing that? Like, they were like, you know, it was a lot of understanding in the comments, which you don't see. I was shocked because usually when something this scandalous happens, it's nothing but negativity in these comment sections on these blogs, these Instagram pages, underneath these posts on Twitter. It's nothing but negativity. But people seem generally, from what I saw, seem to be, you know, for the most part, supportive of like the fact that she was frustrated with her situation, as she should be, like rightfully so. Like he's, you know, he's the father of your child. He's done on this extra shit to try to make it seem like he wants to be a family. Then he, you know, he goes and does blah, 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 blah. And, you know, is cheating, cheating on you, neglecting his responsibilities. Like people, like people, I would be pissed too. And people were, gen like generally, it seemed they were understanding of like the situation that she was going through and her feelings regarding that situation. Um, but anytime Eliza Rain, who was one of Future's baby mothers, baby mamas, or Aisha, uh, Little Miss Golden on Instagram, who was Little Babies, his uh, son Jason, uh, his mother, it's, oh, she's bitter. 
oh, she's this, oh, she's that. Uh, and I really want to speak about Eliza because Eliza is taking Futures as she's dragging him through the court mud to get her ducats for that baby and to get child support. And like those apparently, and I haven't really looked into it far enough, but apparently those rumors about her asking for $50,000 a month are not true. But it is interesting when you look and you see how she's essentially uh, <laughs> how she's being called, you know, a gold digger and how she's being called bitter for calling him out for his fuck ass ways. And for the fact that he's he hasn't even like met their daughter that is biologically has been biologically proven through DNA tests to be his daughter. And I just think that's so interesting. And granted, each situation is different. But the level of care, the level of empathy and sympathy used to discuss Iggy Azalea's situation is drastically and markedly different anytime it is a Black woman. And this is what I'm talking about when I say we have to protect Black women. and We have to prioritize our mental and emotional health. It should not be that way. That's wrong. It should not be that way. Um, I believe... When we talk about social stratification, that Black women operate in one of the lowest, if not the lowest levels, because of the fact that we are Black and we are women. And the level of misogyny in this world is unprecedented. And the level of anti-Blackness in this world is unprecedented. And I think that um, that is something that really, when you get down to the nitty gritty like it's like this isn't like nobody's competing to be like the most depressed here it's just the facts are the facts like they are the facts are the facts and so as we go into this era of Kamala Harris rising into our into this position as our vice president as we go into this era of women like Stacey Abrams because they're I know like here in Dallas there are women just like Stacey Abrams who are going to eventually reach the same level of uh you know public acknowledgement that are going to be attacked. We have to prioritize protecting Black women physically, mentally, and emotionally. We have to. We have to do that. It is not uh, an option. It is not something that we can just do away with because if we do away with Black women and we just like completely let them be attacked and be sabotaged and be dragged through the mud, we are losing one of the most important keys to our communities. We're losing the people who are out there organizing protests for us, the people who are doing all this grassroots organizing, mobilizing voters that so we can get in politicians that are going to work for all of our collective good. You know, Black women do so much and we're always expected to save our communities and save the world. And, you know, like, I'll say this. I, I'm happy that Stacey Abrams did what she did. But there's also still this idea that Black women are expected to save everybody. That, oh, like that, oh, well, we'll do it. And I mean, shit, like we can do it. We can get it done. But like the thing about being strong, the thing about being capable is that everybody deserves a break. Like people take strength and they turn it into this glamorized thing that it shouldn't be. People are not strong because they just want to be strong all the time because they want to be courageous all the time because they want to just you know be like the glue that holds everything together people do that because it is a survival mechanism they do it because they have to they do it because the things they care the most about their families themselves their children their communities would fall the fuck apart if they didn't strength is not pretty strength is not 
you know, this this fucking like they take strength and, and try to capitalize off of it and monetize it and make it into like this pretty thing. Strength is gritty. Strength is like giving your very fucking last when you have nothing left to give, when you have nothing even left for yourself. Strength is sometimes it strips you of everything that you have. And it's the very last that you have. The only thing that you have left to give is just your strength. And so I think that Black women just collectively deserve better. They deserve better. They deserve more responsible people. The people that we're organizing on the behalf of, we deserve a more responsible country. We deserve more responsible politicians that actually give a fuck about us. They're actually going to prioritize us and our well-being. And I, I just, you know, I, I really... I just, I'm trying to find the words. <laughs> so I really, I just, I feel like, you know, how many more times are Black women going to be expected to save everyone before people are expected to like have some type of account, some level of accountability and responsibility to do what's right? Like it still is just baffling to me that 70 million people voted for this man, over 70 million what did he say, 75? I don't know if he's lying or not, because you know he'd be lying, but 75 million people voted for him. And granted, more people voted for Joe Biden legally, but 75 million people once again excused his racism, his misogyny, his general stupidity, his lack of knowledge about anything political, about the political workings of this country and the way that things happen. They excused how he's essentially shitted on the poor, shitted on immigrants, how he has, you know, taken science and, and created this, this atmosphere where people feel like it's okay to disagree with experts in their field who have dedicated their entire lives and careers to what they do. It just, um, and people, 75 million people, they thought it was okay. They thought it was okay. And that tells me there's still so much more work to be done. But black women can't do it alone. They can't do it alone. And when black women are out there doing this stuff, they don't deserve to be attacked. And that's why we have to protect them. And that's why when you hear attacks against black women, it is absolutely your responsibility to speak up. And for black women, this is to you. This is to black women right now. What I'm about to say, you have absolutely a responsibility to prioritize your mental, emotional, and physical well-being. You absolutely do. Because I'm going to tell you something, the world is always going to expect us to save them, but I promise you, they are not going to be knocking at your door to save you. In my 29 years of life, I have seen it. I've seen it with my mother. I've seen it with my grandmother. I've seen it with my sister. I've seen it with my friends. Prioritize you. Prioritize the things that you love and the things that you care about, which for me is my community, but also understand that you cannot pour from an empty cup and also understand that there there is no we don't live in a society or a culture that creates space for black women to care about themselves you have literally have to carve that shit out for yourself and you should do that you absolutely should you absolutely should so i'm gonna wrap up because i can talk about this for a really long time um i've really enjoyed this season so far because i'm not interviewing people like i have done in the past three seasons i'm just kind of talking I will probably go back into that space where I do start interviewing people again, but um, I'm not sure when I'm going to do that. 
or if it's even going to be this season, but I, I know I'll probably venture back that way. But right now, I'm really enjoying just having these conversations and just talking, getting my thoughts out. And I hope you guys continue to support my podcast, continue to tell your friends and family about it. And I hope that the things that I said tonight, um, especially for Black women, encourage you to really care for yourself and about yourself and about other Black women. And for the people that claim that they are supporters or who consider themselves to be supporters of Black women, I hope that you are critically thinking about the ways that you have not protected Black women and how you can change that in the future. It's a simple correction when people say ignorant things. It is, you know, when your Black female coworker tries to say something and she's interrupted by somebody else stopping them like, hey, what were you trying to say? Hey, hold on. She was talking. It's literally, you know, it's you complimenting their hair. It's you creating an atmosphere where they can be comfortable enough to be themselves. It's you literally addressing any of the biases that you have against Black people, and in particular Black women, that are harmful and that perpetuate themselves in harmful ways. Like, y'all, to be better, we got to do better, period. So I leave you with that. Um, it's 11.15 on January 19, 2021. I look forward to our new president and his beautiful vice president being inaugurated and bringing an end to the last four years of ignorance and hate that we've had to endure that has like collectively affected the American psyche and, you know, I hope for brighter days and for better a better future. So I love you guys. I will be back. Uh, I'm going to be podcasting actually for my class this semester. I've decided I'm going to take my podcast and do some stuff for what my, my last. I mean, really, this class, I'm taking it just because I want to because it's going to help me write my dissertation because I'm actually done with all my coursework. I'm just kind of like popping in. I'm just there at this point. But um, I'm excited to engage with what I'm going to be talking about this semester, which is race and crime. And then also I will be podcasting, of course, always about colorism as an extension of white supremacy and the various ways that it affects us. And I think that's going to be a really interesting topic to talk about these next couple of years, because although they're going to talk about Kamala Harris like she is a dog, the same way that they talk about Kamala Harris is not going to be the same way they talk about Stacey Abrams. Mark my words. It'll be colored with colorism. You guys take care. I will see y'all next time.